This episode is sponsored by Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management, experienced wealth managers who go above and beyond to guide and support you. CanDo is more than just an attitude. It's navigating today for a brighter tomorrow. Visit CanDoWealth.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by Katie Balls and James Hill. So, Katie, it looks like the Conservative Party is tearing itself apart again as we go one day closer to Tuesday's vote on the Rwanda bill. What's going on now on Friday? So the second reading is scheduled for Tuesday. We're currently at a point where I don't think they're tearing themselves apart completely right now, but there's almost this uh, pause and silence as MPs start to decide what to do. So you're getting a little bit of a sense of where they're sitting. I think, uh, you know, the two groups to be very blunt, uh, you know, the MPs on the right of the party, those looking to Sivada Bravman, Robert Jenrick, and thinking, you know, does this uh, bill not go far enough? Um, Obviously questions about... If, that, if it does not go far enough, would you still have a Rwanda scheme to go to? The, the, number 10 saying there wouldn't be one. And then on the other side, the One Nation MPs are saying, does it go too far? Now, we've had one MP come out and say from the One Nation wing, they don't think they can back it even at second reading. Mm. But I think the general mood music from the One Nation group is they will probably go along with it next week and save the fights for the later stages when you can try to add amendments. Number 10 is saying, we do not want to amend this bill. But that's clearly, the space so far seems to be the hint from the One Nation group is they may go along with it but then try and change it or voice concerns further down the line. Then on the when it comes to the MPs on the right, we're yet to really get much because everyone is looking to see what the so-called star chambers say and therefore do they take the view of Lord Sumption mm. uh, that this bill actually has a high chance of doing what it's meant to do or will they decide it falls short? And I think the thing that uh, I think would probably alarm Rishi Sunak and his team is that everyone is now focusing on this idea that individuals could petition individual cases of why they couldn't go to Rwanda. But there seems to be a debate in the legal world with quite a few figures saying the threshold is incredibly high. It's not actually going to bog down the courts. But Emmy's on the right, and perhaps the Robert Jenrick view being, it could. So how much of a risk do you think that is? And therefore, will these MPs, therefore, at second reading, go along with it? Or do you potentially have a clash next week where I think you just need about 28 Tory rebels for that to suddenly not pass because Labour have said they will try and block this bill. So I think there's three options. It dies on Tuesday at second reading. It goes through on second reading, but with MPs warning the fight's not over and they're going to reconsider in the new year. Or all sides give Rishi Sunak a Christmas miracle and say, you know what, this is Goldilocks. You've got it just right. <laughs> but unfortunately, it does feel so that that third option you need a lot to suddenly change or go right together. Is it currently a reverse Goldilocks where there are people criticising it from both ends of the party? I think there is definitely an element of that in the sense by trying to obviously please both sides a bit, you risk just annoying everyone. But I think ultimately, if you are in government, you do need to bring the majority of your party with you. So you do end up constantly trying to find compromises. Now, I actually think this gives more to the right than it does to the One Nation MPs if you if you look at what they are proposing. It's just the question is, are the right more uncompromising than the left? Mm-hmm. And James, is it a de facto confidence vote for Rishi Sunak on this issue? I mean, I know it's not an actual confidence vote, but is it a de facto MP saying, well, we just don't know about you anymore? And there are whispers around Westminster now about whether or not they need to have another go at another leader. 
I think we're very different from, say, the situation in 2019, of course, when, um, you know, there was a sort of comparison with what the Brexit wars were all about, etc. So you saw these things. We're now hearing about the ERG and star chambers and, um, you know, legislation coming forward, etc. Richard Holden, the past chairman, told the Parliamentary Press Gallery lunch yesterday that it would be an insanity to change mm. leader again to give a fifth prime minister and I think sort of four or five years. So I don't think that most MPs have spoken to realistic thing that'll happen. That said, you know, people do think that some letters have gone in and that, uh, you know, there will always be a minority of the party who will be irritated for one reason or another. Uh, I mean, we all can think of... Cert- <laughs> the universal truth about the Conservative yeah, Party these days. I suspect if Nadine Doris was still in Parliament, her letter would have gone in. But I, So I don't think we're, we're at that stage where we're talking about Rishi Sunak's leadership yet. And I think it probably was the right decision to make it explicit at that press conference yesterday that this is not a confidence vote because it then takes the heats out of the issue whereby of course October 2022 we had the fracking vote which MPs weren't even sure on if it was a confidence vote or not there was confusion and pandemonium scenes in Parliament so at least that sort of baked into the thinking over the next three days or so it's it's clearly you know a test of the government's you know virility and their, their, their tactical nous so I think that but the key thing is going to be, once that vote happens, what follows next? And I think if number 10 are thinking sensibly, they'll be thinking of a range of proposals to give a blizzard of ideas saying, ah, yes, we if they lose the vote, ah, we've lost it, but we've also got these treaties, ah, we've also got, you know, more cooperation with France, we've also got new ways to move people out of those £6 million a day hotel bills. I think that's the issue here is wargaming it, because certain MPs I spoken to are quite critical of the fact that after that Supreme Court judgment last month, number 10 seemed a little bit taken surprised by that and there wasn't the kind of immediate, okay this is what we're going to do in reaction to it. Um, so I think that they need to have wargamed it all, planned it all out uh, and that hopefully will keep Tory MPs on side up until the Christmas break and normally when you have a recess I think MPs, the sort of tension goes out of it a bit, <laughs> they go home, they see their families and they come back in January and by that point of course it's then, people will be thinking this is election year and I think the immediate danger will have subsided a little bit. Mm. I think it comes down to that point, which is, do MPs feel it's more in their interest to effectively run against the government in their seats? Um, You know, say, oh, oh, I'm standing up to Rishi because this doesn't go far enough. Because I think what Number 10's main uh, argument and what they'll keep saying over Christmas is effectively, we're going into an election year and therefore do you want to spend the time fighting one another, talking about changing leader but not actually being able to, and looking as though you're a hot steaming mess when it comes to the boats plan, or do you want to unite around a plan that has a decent chance of working, and if it does work, puts pressure on Labour and therefore takes the fight to Labour? No, that is the argument you be- you began to hear from Rishi Sunak in that press conference yesterday. You know, it was at times, I think almost, you know, felt like it was taking place in a different universe. Uh, you know, and so there's lots of questions, well, you've just lost your, one of your closest political allies. Like, well, actually, the question you should ask Labour, you know, that was very much Rishi Sunak's, uh, you know, it, it did not feel, he clearly does not want to engage in any way with this idea that his Tory party is, you know, tearing chunks out of one another. And they want to say, the only way, I think, focusing minds going into a year where there's going to be an election, you've got to get behind this. It's your best option. Do you start to get, you know, going into 2024, this sense that MPs do think we need to look co- cohesive and fall behind it? Clearly, the problem is if they decide not to do that, if this group, and I imagine this would be like Sarada Bravman, and we're yet to have this 
intervention from Robert Jenrick, which is mm. clearly just going to be a matter of time before he gives his big interview or so forth. You know, and that's and also interesting to see how he times it because the timing of his resignation wasn't very helpful to Rishi Sunak. Mm. If he does a big Sunday interview just before this vote, saying why this isn't going to work, that's you know whipping further up MPs to, to go against it. If this group are convinced by those who do not like this plan and do not want Rishi Sunak to proceed with it, that it is just a waste of months of time, then they might start having their own you know, counter to it. And at that point, you're just in this period of drift where, you know, Rishi Sunak can try and find another country to send asylum seekers to, but <laughs> there is a reason that it's very hard to find one of those countries. And um, so that's not an easy fix. If there was an easy solution at this point, we probably would have seen it. Yeah. Although it is quite good to get a free 290 million and you don't even take any uh, any asylum seekers for that money. And James, is the government breathing a slight sigh of relief, at least at the fact that Nigel Farage is still in the jungle and not whipping up anger, presumably? Well, he's due out on Sunday, I think. Mm. So uh, we shall await to see what happens. Um, I think on that, not so. I think on that, in a way, it's the opposite. In the sense, the longer he stays in the jungle, the more popular Nigel Farage is with the public. So you almost <laughs> want him out early on, even if he then causes a problem. Whereas if he gets, you know, further down into that final group, not that I have been watching, I'm a celebrity, but having watching previous series, it's going to be a point where he will feel he's got even more of a platform, more of a resonance with the public because they've chosen to keep him in. Well, we shall await to see. I mean, I'll just add one uh, sort of note, which is that, of course, Rishi Sunak is due up at the COVID inquiry on Monday, and I think that's probably going to be a bit of an irritation. Now, normally I think he does pretty well at these things. He's usually quite across the detail when he's sort of grilled on things like the Net Zero press conference earlier this year. But clearly it is uh, suboptimal to have the Prime Minister a day before a huge vote having to spend time answering mm-hmm. questions about some of uh, the more challenging moments of his time in government. Yeah, it's going to be a very big week for the Prime Minister. James and Katie, thanks very much. And thank you very much for listening at home. Do give us a rating and a review if you like this podcast.